It's time to discover your spiritual identity with your host, Mike Shree. There are hundreds of names and titles given to God's people that powerfully reveal who you are, why you exist, and what your purpose is in this world. Each one pulls back the veil of a different aspect of who you are in Christ. Once you learn these names and titles and apply them to your life, you will rise up boldly to be all that God has called you to be. Are you ready? Here's Mike Shree. On this episode, I'm going to share with you one of the names of the children of God that is very dear to my heart. It's my passion to fulfill the calling to be a true worshiper. Let me give you the foundational scripture, John chapter 4, verse 23. It's the conversation that Jesus had with the woman at the well. And he said these key words, but the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship him. I know many of us, when we go to church or when we go into our prayer room, we go there to seek God, to seek the Father. But the ironic and amazing thing about it is the Father is seeking us. He's seeking true worshipers. Well, what does that mean? If the qualifications, the criteria to be a true worshiper is to worship the Father in spirit and in truth, we need to find out what those two things really mean. Now, notice in your Bibles that the word spirit is lowercase. It's not capital S referring to the Holy Spirit. It's lowercase s. It's referring to your regenerated spirit if you have been born again. Ezekiel prophesied about this that would take place in the new covenant with these words. He said in Ezekiel 36 verses 26 and 27, I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. What a powerful expose of the coming new covenant. When God promised to actually put a new spirit within those who turn to him in repentance and to put his spirit in us as well, because your new spirit is infused and saturated with his spirit. And that very regeneration of your spirit is one of the major things that qualifies you to be a true worshiper. Because see, when mankind fell, when Adam and Eve transgressed, they died spiritually. Human beings are triune in nature. We're made up of body, soul, and spirit. The body is made of flesh, bones, and blood. The soul functions in the areas of mind, will, and emotions. And the spirit functions in the three areas of communion with God, revelation from God, and conscience. Now, after the fall took place, the first two were, for the most part, cut off unless God chooses to override that separation. But communion with God is no longer possible. And revelation from God rarely, if ever, happens unless God initiates it. 
So those two parts of the human spirit in a fallen state are non-functional, dysfunctional, and non-functional. The conscience is barely functional. So it's like the spirit is holding on for dear life. You may worship God through various religious ceremonies or methods of approach and methods of prayer, but you can't really be a true worshiper until your spirit is infused with his spirit and you return to him in the form of praise and adoration and thanksgiving and worship the very anointing that he pours into your heart at the moment of salvation. See, it's a circuitous route that this river takes. Let's go back to the beginning of the conversation Jesus had with the woman at the well. Just a beautiful, heart-moving, heart-warming passage of Scripture that is so full of revelation, so full of insights that just engulf your heart in gratitude when you read it and when you understand it, when you comprehend it. It starts out in John chapter 4, verse 4. It said that Jesus needed to go through Samaria. Well, as far as we know, there was no other reason he needed to go through Samaria, except for the fact that the plan of God was unfolding, and part of that plan dictated that he be at the well when the woman arrived to share with her the deep revelation that he did. And when she got there to Jacob's well, Jesus first approached her with the words, Give me to drink. Give me to drink. How amazing that he would say that because. See, he was God manifested in a human body. He created all the water that is in this world. The Bible said, by him all things were created, and without him was nothing made that was made. So the Atlantic Ocean came out of him. The Pacific Ocean came out of him. The Indian Ocean, the Arctic, and the Antarctic Oceans, they all came out of him. Every river, the Amazon, the Mississippi, the Euphrates, every lake, every pond, every body of water, all the rain that comes down from above, and all the mist that rises up from below, all of that came from him. He didn't need her little bucket of water but he wanted to see if she was willing to give to a stranger, to one she could have shunned because the Jews had no dealings with the Samaritans. And I guarantee you the Samaritans were bitter about that prejudice toward them. But she showed herself willing. She said, how is it that you being a Jew would ask drink of me who am a woman of Samaria for the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans? Then he told her this marvelous promise. He said, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked of him and he would have given you living water. I want to stop right here and inject a thought. God doesn't really need your bucket of worship. God doesn't really need my bucket of worship. He is surrounded in the celestial sphere with countless millions, billions. Only God knows how many angels, 
seraphim and cherubim there are crying, holy, holy, holy. He's surrounded with an ocean of adoration. He doesn't need my voice added to that number, but he still desires that communion with me. He still desires that communion with you. And like he said to this woman, he's saying to us, give me to drink. Because see, God is thirsty. He's thirsty for fellowship with those who are redeemed out of the human race. He is thirsty for communion with those who love him. And he told the woman, if you just knew who I am, and child of God, I'm asking you to awaken to the realization that he is the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. He is the great God and our Savior, the great shepherd, the great I am. He is the door to the sheepfold, the way, the truth, and the life, the resurrection and the life. He is the light of the world. He is the bright and morning star and the son of righteousness who arises with healing in his wings. If you just knew who he is in depth, you would ask of him and realize nothing is impossible with him and he will give you living water. What is this living water? First of all, it's water that is saturated with the life of God. To be living water, it would have to be alive spiritually. And I believe it's all symbolic and metaphorical because natural water has two elements and they are hydrogen and oxygen. In fact, you know the molecular structure, H2O, very common knowledge. Two parts hydrogen, one part oxygen. Well, that's a symbol of living water, spiritual water that flows like a river from the throne of God. It's made up of two elements too, because the word of God is represented in the Bible as water, and the Spirit of God is represented as water. Let me give you the references. See, in Ephesians chapter 5, it talks about how the Lord Jesus Christ cleanses the church that is married to him with the washing of water by the Word. So the Word is represented by water. But then in John chapter 7, Jesus also said, He who believes on me out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke of the Spirit, which was not yet given, for Jesus was not yet glorified. And so the Spirit of God is represented as water. You may say, well, that sounds contradictory. Either it's the Word or the Spirit. No, it's both because living water contains two spiritual elements. In fact, I believe the spiritual structure, molecular structure of living water is word to spirit. Two parts word, Old Testament and New Testament, and one part spirit, inspiring both. And when you drink in the word with the spirit, it satisfies your thirst for truth, for knowledge of God, for purpose awakened in your life. It satisfies the thirst of the souls of men. 
It's what we need. People look in all the wrong places, and this is what we need. Listen to the rest of what Jesus said. The woman responded to him and said, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock? I call that the understatement of the millennium. Are you greater than our father Jacob? Oh, lady, you don't know it, but he was the one who wrestled with Jacob, the angel of the Lord, who subdued him about the dawning of the day and changed his name to Israel. Of course, he knew Jacob and Jacob knew him. Jesus never bothered explaining all of that, though. He just let it go past him, and he went deeper into this woman's heart. He said, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him, a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. Oh, those few verses are so, so rich. Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. Well, that's representative of the fact that everything the world offers to satisfy the thirst of human beings fails in its attempt. Nothing in this world, nothing the world entices you with that is sinful and nothing that the world offers to you that is basically just of the world and maybe not sinful at all. None of it fully satisfies. You'll never be satisfied by immorality, alcohol, drug use, the debauchery of the flesh, the uncleanness of the fallen nature. It only contaminates and ruins and wrecks a person mentally and emotionally. It's disastrous. It's poison. It's not drinkable. And it certainly doesn't satisfy the thirst. Only living water satisfies the thirst of mankind. But wait just a minute. Jesus said, whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. I read that scripture a number of years ago, and I said, no, wait a second, God. Wait just a moment. I'm still thirsty. I've been saved in years, and I'm still thirsty for more of God. I'm still thirsty for deeper revelation in your word. I'm still thirsty for understanding and comprehension of the mysteries of the kingdom of God. And you told me here in John chapter 4, verse 14, if I would drink of this living water, I would never thirst again. I'm thirstier than ever, God. And I heard the still, small voice of God speak to my spirit, and he said, you haven't finished the cup yet. Whoa, the power of God just came all over me, and I realized that God has my life and God has your life so ordered that we have enough living water to sustain us every single day until the last day of our journey, and that's when we'll tip the cup and drink it to the dregs and cast it to the side, that cup of salvation, never needing it again, and enter into eternity where we'll never thirst again.
How wonderful is that? And then he said, if we drink of this water, it will be in us a fountain of water springing up. So this water flows into you first, and then it flows out of you. But where is it going? It's flowing out of you back to God back to the one who gave it. It flows into you to fill your heart to the brim, to satisfy your desire for communion with God. But then the same river of life that came from God returns back to him to satisfy God's heart for communion with his people. Now, let me go back to this statement in John 4.23, because I need to bring this to a close. Jesus said, true worshipers will worship him in spirit and in truth. Now, we've covered what it is to worship him in spirit and how necessary it is to have a regenerated spirit to fulfill that mandate. But how do we worship him in truth? There's actually seven ways we fulfill the calling to worship God in the truth. And I'm going to go through them fairly quickly. To worship the Most High God in truth is to, number one, worship him with honesty. Like David, who came to God in Psalm 51 and said, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgression, for I acknowledge my sin. He was honest. He was transparent. He didn't try and hide the error that had been in his life. Number two, to worship God in the truth is to worship him in sincerity. You're not trying to manipulate God. You're not trying to somehow get him to do something for you by you doing something for him. No, you're just sincere. You're sincerely in love with God and seek to devote yourself to him more completely. Number three, to worship God in the truth is to worship him with the comprehension of his word, comprehending what the word says, comprehending what the word means. And then number four, you apply that word to your life. That's worship. Living a moral life according to biblical codes of morality is an act of worship. Refraining from lying is an act of worship. Refraining from backbiting is an act of worship because you find the commandments in God's word telling us not to do those things. And then, of course, on the other hand, there are commandments to do certain things, to witness, to proclaim the gospel to the ends of the earth. And when we do all we can to shine our light in this world, we're worshiping, even though we might not be shouting hallelujah. That's how we worship in truth, by comprehending the truth of God's word and applying that truth to our lives. And then number five, we worship in truth when we have the right revelation of God's nature. See, Jesus told the woman at the well, you worship, you know not what. You, we know what we worship because salvation is of the Jews. They had a distorted idea of the nature of God. And so their worship was not receivable because it was tainted by false ideas concerning his character or nature or name. And the same thing applies to so many religions in the world. There are millions of 
Hindus that worship and Muslims that worship, but they have a false view of the nature of God. They don't understand that God is a triune being, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and these three are one God. You only find that in Christianity. That's why only those who embrace that understanding of the nature of God can truly be worshipers. Then number six, to worship him in the truth is to use right methods. See, when I tried to find God at the age of 19 by studying yoga and meditation, we would chant mantras for hours trying to come into oneness with God. That's a wrong method. Jesus said, use not vain repetitions like the heathen do. But he's very clearly told us how to worship him in scripture. Clap your hands, all you people. Shout unto God with the voice of triumph. I will therefore that all men everywhere lift holy hands without wrath and without doubt. There's plenty of scriptures that tell us how to worship. And then finally, number seven, we worship him in the truth when we worship him by virtue of our position in Christ because it's only because we are in him that we are accepted in the Father's presence. We are accepted in the beloved, and that's capital B in the first chapter of Ephesians. He is the beloved Son of God, and because we are in him, we are just as loved and received by the Father as he is. And because of our position in Christ, we are accepted in our role as worshipers. Otherwise, this barrier between heaven and earth would prevail against us. But instead, that barrier has been lifted, the veil has been lifted, and we are welcomed into the throne room of the Almighty God. What a high privilege. I urge you to take advantage of it and be a worshiper, but more than that, be a true worshiper. Thank you for listening to Discover Your Spiritual Identity with Mike Shree, a podcast designed to cause a spiritual awakening in your life. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, cpnshows.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss new episodes. You can go deeper into this amazing revelation of the names God has given his people by getting your copy of Mike Shreve's book titled, Who Am I? Dynamic Declarations of Who You Are in Christ. We also invite you to visit our website, shreveministries.org, and sign up to be part of our global internet family, a group of on-fire believers who are bold to proclaim, I am who God says I am, I have what God says I have, and I will be what God says I will be.